a blessing to be together on this Lord's Day. Excited to be able to worship God, to have this outlet to praise and give thanks to our Creator, to sing together, to pray together, to commune with Christ. And I'm always excited to be able to study God's Word together for a little while. We're going to continue what's become somewhat of a mini-series on prayer. About a year ago, we studied the Lord's Prayer. About a month ago, we studied some prayers of Paul. And this morning, we want to continue by studying a couple more prayers of Paul. And kind of the the concept that we've been emphasizing is this idea of praying in the language of Scripture. That we take a look at our prayer life, of the things that we ask for and how we ask for them, and compare them to the prayers that we see in Scripture, the Lord's Prayer, the way Jesus prayed, the way Jesus taught us to pray, uh, the prayers of Paul, what he prayed for, uh, the, the prayers of David and the Psalms, and see how, how much of a delta is there between their prayers and our prayers, and that we uh, work harder to pray in the language of Scripture, that we study not only the prayers that we see in Scripture, but also uh, the will of God, what's taught throughout God's Word, the kind of things that we should be praying for according to God's will. So as, as James says, uh, we don't ask amiss, that we don't ask for the wrong things when we pray. Praying presupposes an underlying theology. And so our theology is going to have a significant impact and influence on our praying and on our prayers. A better understanding of Scripture then is going to have a reforming effect on our praying. And so it begs the question again, what percentage of our prayers are in line with the prayers in Scripture and what's taught in Scripture? Jesus, Paul, David. If our praying is far different from their praying and their prayers, we need to modify ours. We need to change ours. And so we want to look at a couple more prayers of Paul this morning. We want to spend the most of our time in one particular prayer uh, to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1, in verse 9, he says, For this reason, today we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you. On account of this, for this reason, what reason? He says, your faith and your, your love by the gospel and God's grace, for this reason we pray. We've heard what Epaphras has made known to us about your faith and your love and the Spirit. Paul's overjoyed. And this is the prayer. This prayer is the way to pray for growing Christians. Pray for these things, verse 9 and 10. Ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We need to pray for the lost. We need to pray for uh, novices, babes in Christ. We need to pray for growing, developing, maturing Christians. It's all of us. Everybody needs to be prayed for. He never got to a point where he said, I don't need to pray for you anymore. Do not cease. It's daily, consistent, constant, regular. Colossians 4.12, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Not there's a need and I'm going to pray for it once. Or there's a need and I'm going to pray for it once. And if I don't get the answer I want, I'm going to stop asking. Jesus taught us, don't grow weary in praying for people. Paul modeled that in his life. And there are some things that we want to note about this prayer. Paul prays for Christians that he has never met personally. Since the day we heard it, not we saw it, the day we heard of your faith 
and your love. He's writing to a church he's never visited. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And it begs the question, how extensive are our prayers? Do you pray for people you've never met personally in India? Brothers and sisters in India or Nigeria or around the world, how extensive is our prayers? Do all our petitions revolve around our families, our churches, our own small circle? Are we introverted in our prayers? Because our prayers may expose just how selfish and self-centered and small our world is. Paul prays without ceasing. I do not cease to pray for you. He's interceding on their behalf in a disciplined, structured, organized, regular, consistent, constant pattern. There are some things that we need to be asking for constantly. There are some blessings from God. Think about the Lord's Prayer, the things that Jesus taught us to pray for in the model prayer. There are some blessings from God we need to be asking Him for constantly. What did Paul pray for constantly? What did Jesus pray for constantly? And what are we praying for? What are we asking for constantly? And Paul links uh, prayers of thanksgiving with petitions. Prayers of petition. We give God, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, and later on in verse 9 he says, we ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The kind of things that Paul thanks God for are the kind of things that Paul keeps asking for more of. We need to constantly thank God for his grace in our life and the grace that we see in the lives of others. We talked about that last time. In our praying, we need to look for signs of grace in our life and in the lives of others, and we need to give God thanks for that. We need to give God credit for that. And then we need to petition God for more grace so that there's more thanks and more glory to God. That was Paul's pattern. Pray without ceasing. And what are we praying for? Grace and peace. We see in Colossians 1, as he begins the letter, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of the letter, the last chapter, grace be with you. All of Paul's letters begin and end with this. Every one of them. Go check it. Every one of his letters begin, grace and peace from God, and then end, grace be with you. It's a, somewhat of a, a, a benediction, an invocation of blessing. Grace to you at the beginning of the letter because as he begins to teach God's inspired word through this letter, he believes God's grace and this direction, this instruction from God is coming down to them through the word of God. Grace and peace to you. Grace is God dealing with us better than we deserve. Grace from God to us. Grace and peace flowing from God the Father through Jesus Christ to us. And that's the, uh, an amazingly consistent pattern, like I said, in every one of his epistles. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace be with you as you go. Do we pray, do we tell people, grace and peace from God the Father to us through Jesus Christ, and grace and peace be with you? Is that our pattern? Is that our habit in our prayers? Paul asked God to fill believers with knowledge of His will. That's what he prays for, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, increasing in the knowledge of God. 
Notice the relative clauses here in this text. He goes on to talk about the Father who has qualified us, the Christ in whom we have redemption through His blood. How do we know when Paul has stopped praying and started teaching? Those things seem to run together because this prayer is based on knowledge of God. This prayer is based on knowledge of Christ. It talks about uh, being strengthened according to His glorious power. You have to know what that power is to do that. He talks about giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. You have to know, to do that, you have to know what the Father has done for us. You have to know about the, 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 the Father God that we're praying to. And so it's natural to flow right from this prayer into teaching on who God is and who Christ, into an exposition on God. Pray on the basis of doctrine and for greater understanding of God and greater understanding of Christ. His prayer is motivated in part on uh, his concern over the uh, pluralism and the worldly philosophies and the science or the knowledge falsely so-called that was prevalent at that time. It's prevalent today. Don't reduce Christ to relative importance. We need knowledge We need intuition. We need spiritual insight and understanding. And not only a knowledge that's uh, theoretical, but that's practical. That we know God in Christ not only through this knowledge, but through this experience. We know Him in that way. That's something that we must constantly be praying for and asking God to help us with. I want to argue there are few needs we need more than this one. Because without knowledge of His will, without knowledge of who God is and who Christ is and what He's done for us, there's no depth, there's no maturity, there's no discipling, there's no endurance, there's no growth. And we live in a time, we live in a culture, we live in a world that's fascinated with self-help books and data and information and entertainment, but not the will of God. Not knowing who God is and who Christ is and what He's done for us. We live in a world, a culture, a time ignorant of God's will. Ignorant of God's Word. Pray for knowledge of His will. That's what we need. Pray to be filled with spiritual wisdom. Let me be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How are we filled? Well, we go on to read in the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery or the plan of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so this implies that being conformed to Christ, being united to Christ, is going to be part of this knowledge and this experience, this deep understanding of what it means to be united in Christ, what it means to be in Christ. Renewed in knowledge, next chapter. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The knowledge that we need to do the will of God comes by being renewed in this knowledge, being conformed to this image, putting on the new man in Christ. A few verses later in the same chapter. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, ask the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you, sir, the Lord Christ. Knowledge of our future reward of inheritance, knowing that, work heartily. Knowing something equips us, inspires us, motivates us to do the will of God. What we know affects what we do. 
That's the point. Colossians 4, verse 1. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Something about uh, Knowing something about God, who God is, who Christ is, what Christ has done for us, knowing something about future judgment compels, creates, inspires this obedience. Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And this isn't just a list, right? Of Here's exactly what you say. Certainly we have the will of God and the Word of God influencing what we do, influencing what we say. But it's not just a list of here's what you say. But by experience, by this knowledge of God's will and knowing God, knowing Christ so much, being so in tune with the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, that we're able to discern in the moment how to treat people. That we're able to discern in the moment how to talk to people. We know them in that way. It's not just a list, right? It's deep communion and conviction and commitment. In wisdom and understanding that's spiritual. That's how this knowledge comes about. That's how this knowledge becomes full in us. This understanding. Uh, same word in Ephesians 3, 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight. Same word as understanding in Colossians 1, 9. Into the mystery or the plan of Christ. Understand this. The spiritual wisdom and understanding. That means beyond earthly. Beyond worldly. It's not carnal. It's spiritual. Understanding is insight into some Reality, wisdom. Think about what he says in Colossians 2.23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom, this false doctrine, the asceticism that was going on, and self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are no value against the indulgence of the flesh. These rules appear wise, but he says they don't work. And so this wisdom that we're praying for, that we're seeking, is, is this practical application of insight and understanding that's spiritual and that works. That's wisdom. Colossians 4, verse 5, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Wisdom takes this knowledge, this insight, this discernment, this spiritual understanding, and makes the best use of every moment. Paul tells Timothy, think over what I say. Don't be passive in this as we pray for wisdom. And understanding and God to help us in that. We're not passive in that. Seek, search. That's what Jesus taught us to do. Be diligent. Study to show yourself approved. This cooperation with God. Think on these things. Meditate on these things. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Use the mental resources God has given you, entrusted to you, and depend on God to give you what you need. Pray to be filled with spiritual wisdom so that we can determine and approve what's best, what's superior, what's excellent. This leads into the prayer in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, there are a multitude of decisions in life that aren't always about this black and white, right and wrong. There's areas of liberty. There's areas of judgment. There's areas of maturity. And what you need in those decisions is discernment that helps you see the difference, how they contrast with each other, and then make the best possible choice. 
Love determined by knowledge and insight and spiritual understanding is critical, is the key in approving what's best and approving what's superior and what's excellent. And so the prayer is that they will approve what's best, what's excellent, so that they can appear blameless, without offense, pure at the return of Christ. This is discernment and understanding and insight that's not just intellectual and theoretical, it's intensely practical, resulting in purity. Four, till the day of Christ, in view of the day of Christ, the return of Christ. How often does Paul and and Peter and Jesus emphasize, you know what the key to living an excellent life, the best life, you know what that is? Living every moment in view of the return of Jesus. That's how you live a life of excellence. Notice that Paul here is praying for what's best. He's praying for what's superior. He's praying for what's excellent, not what's mediocre. Seek to excel in the edification of the church. Not what's sloppy and mediocre. Why love that abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight? What's the connection there? Praying for love, love that abounds in knowledge and insight. Well, think about the opposite of that. Insert the opposite, and it becomes clear why he's praying for that. Love doesn't abound in ignorance. Love doesn't abound in insensitivity. That's why we're praying for love that abounds in knowledge and insight. And understanding. The love Paul is praying for is constrained by spiritual knowledge and understanding. Love as it's defined and presented by God in His Word. What it means to love God, what it means to love our neighbor. It's got to be constrained by that. It's got to be regulated by that. Without the constraints of knowledge and wisdom, love becomes mere sentimentality or pluralism that he's confronting in, in Colossians that Everybody's okay. Do whatever you want. And this is what the the world confuses as love and tolerance. But real love is regulated by knowledge and insight, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Christians must abound more and more in this love if we're going to test and approve what's best, what's excellent. Because love without knowledge and wisdom and understanding and insight is a parody, it's a joke. And knowledge and wisdom without love is a bloodbath. And so we pray that love would abound more and more in insight and understanding. What's excellent, what's best, what's superior is difficult to discern for those whose love is not regulated by insight, by knowledge, by understanding. And so he prays that we would be filled, filled with the fruits of righteousness. Colossians 1.9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Does that mean perfect? Is he praying that we would be perfect? Paul knows that there's a perfection that we are not going to experience, that we are not going to be realized this side of heaven. But there's another way to think about perfection or completeness, which isn't perfect in the sinless sense. Growing, maturing abounding more and more, increasing, developing, being as good and as fully pleasing and fruitful and productive, walking as worthy as a justified sinner possibly can. That's the goal. That's the prayer. Never stop feeling. There's always room for improvement, for more. And if you know much about Paul, he would never pray for us to be 80% full. And this is not an idolatrous prayer. You know, I think we, we know that the pursuit of excellence, if you're a perfectionist, 
can become idolatrous. Perfectionists can become self-focused, can become a form of self-worship. And so what we're doing is we're worshiping God, which motivates our pursuit of excellence for God's glory, for God's praise. Don't worship excellence, which motivates the pursuit of self-glory. We don't want to be lazy. We don't want to be sloppy and careless and unmotivated, but we need to check our motives and our intentions as we pursue excellence. Whose glory are we praying for? Whose glory are we seeking? To the glory and praise of God. That's the goal. What percent of your prayers are for things like that? Hallowed be thy name. That's the first ultimate petition of the Lord's Prayer. What percentage of our prayers are for excellent things, are for what's best? What best things should we be asking God for? Should we be praying for, for the church, for the lost, for our children? And as we pray for and pursue excellence, we must avoid making the pursuit of that excellence an idolatrous exercise. Pray to be worthy of the Lord. This is so much at the heart of this text and what he's asking for ultimately, that the reason that you may walk worthy of the Lord. We see this theme throughout Paul's writings, this idea of walking worthy. Ephesians 4.1, walk worthy of the calling. Philippians 1, verse 27, walk worthy of the gospel of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, walk worthy of God. Romans 16.2, walk worthy of the saints. When we read these texts, we can begin to think that this means deserving. Be worthy of the gospel. Be worthy of God. Be worthy of of the saints, be worthy of the calling. But I think if we look at places like Matthew 3, 8, where we're told, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, the ESV says bear fruit in keeping with repentance, we can see that it can have a different meaning. It can mean fitting. Not deserving of repentance, that makes absolutely no sense, right? It's just the opposite, in fact. You repent because you don't deserve, because you're a sinner, Repentance doesn't deserve this fruit. The fruit is the fitting, appropriate produce of repentance. That's the sense. We aren't deserving of the kingdom, but this fruit that should be produced if we're following Christ, if we've been redeemed in Christ, makes us fitted, makes us suitable, a character that's suitable for the kingdom of God. In keeping with, in according with, fitting, appropriate. Same word in 2 Thessalonians 1.5, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, that you walk in a manner worthy of God. Certainly, we never reach a state where we are worthy of God, where we are worthy of what Christ did for us, of our salvation, of the gospel, of our calling. We're saved by grace, through faith. God gives the increase. God made all this possible. So give Him the credit, give Him the glory, give Him thanks. You know, I think we often uh, maybe thank God for what we have. How often do we thank God for who we are? How often do we take credit for who we are? I mean, that's kind of the American way, right? Certainly there's free will. Certainly we cooperate with God. Right? We became a Christian. We made the choice. We did this in our, our justification, our sanctification process. But the truth is, the gospel truth is, God made it possible. God made it all possible. Now just thank God for what you have. Thank God for who you are. Pray that our walk would 
fully please God. Walk worthy so that you'll be fully pleasing. That's, that's what he's asking for. Being worthy is for the purpose so as to be fully pleasing to the Lord. How should you walk? How should you work? How should you worship? How should you live? How should you raise your children? By always remembering in every moment, we have a calling, we have a gospel, we have a God, we have a Lord. And I'm to reflect upon His worth, not my worth, His worth. How valuable my Lord is, my God is, my calling is, my salvation is, the gospel is. That's how we walk worthy. That's how we're fully pleasing. Let your life reflect the worth of God. Because what pleases God, what pleases the Lord is people who see and savor and show the worth of Jesus in their life. The way to live a worthy life, fully pleasing to the Lord, is to fix our hearts, our minds, our eyes on the worth of Jesus. And so the purpose of Paul's petition is that believers might be fully, utterly pleasing to the Lord. And Paul gives us that reason, walk worthy so that you're fully pleasing. And then he sketches out what that means, what that looks like. Being fruitful in every good work. That's a high standard. That's a high calling. And we might understand some of these things better if we lived in what's known as a shame culture. I think about Asian culture, Eastern culture, places like Japan where one of the worst things you can do and you're taught from an early age is bring shame to your clan, your tribe, your family, your name. And so we're so committed to honoring, glorifying, pleasing the Lord in all things so as not to bring shame and dishonor and reproach on the name of Christ in thought, in word, in deed. What thoughts, what words, what deeds, what actions would be fully pleasing to the Lord? Those are the questions. Those prayers are what will transform our walk, our work, our worship, our talk, our play, our interactions, our relationships, our stewardship. And again, you can't be utterly pleasing to the Lord in all things if you don't know, have knowledge of His will, if you aren't filled with His will. That's why this all comes back to praying to know God better, praying to know the will of God better. Knowledge isn't the end goal, but it's the means to this end of pleasing the Lord. So what does this pleasing life, what does a life fully pleasing to the Lord look like? He sketches this out. Christians bearing fruit in every good work. Paul, Jesus, make it clear, you cannot please God if you're not fruitful. Paul prays that they may be filled with this knowledge so they can be fruitful for every good work. Increasing the knowledge of God, this continuous improvement, and this knowledge that's essential, a prerequisite for being fruitful in every good work. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. We're to be strengthened so as to put this patience, this endurance, this joy on display, which shows the worth of Christ, that we're willing to endure, to be patient, to have joy in all circumstances because of the worth of Jesus. And the power that Paul frequently prays for and writes about is, is often tied to the power of the resurrection of Christ. And that power is manifested. That power is put on display in us through our endurance, through our patience, through our joy. And that's what makes us well-pleasing to the Lord. And then finally, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to this inheritance. And how in the world could we not? 
based on who God is, what God has done, what Jesus did for us to qualify us to be partakers of this inheritance in light, how could we not give thanks? Live a life that's worthy, that's fully pleasing to the Lord by overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving, thanksgiving, generosity. Pray for the fruit of good works. Colossians 1, he talks about the gospel which has brought forth fruit as also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God and truth. Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit and increasing just like the gospel did among you. Live a life worthy of the gospel by being fruitful and increasing like the gospel did among you. That's the prayer. And again, why knowledge after all this? We just keep beating this this horse. Why knowledge again and again, over and over? Because it's knowledge that's not just deep, but it's by experiencing the greatness and value and worth of Christ. Knowing what? We're going to possibly study these prayers in Ephesians, this prayer in Ephesians 1, this beautiful prayer. He's praying that that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. That, here's why, you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. Be amazed at who God is and what Christ has done. That knowledge is what gets it all started, right? 2 Peter 1, 3, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue. As we grow in godliness by knowing more about God. Be ye holy as He is holy. If we increase in this knowledge, we're going to walk more fully pleasing. We're going to bear better fruit. We're going to be more godly because we know God better. And part of what we know is what we know by experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's at work in us. We see Him working in us. We see Him working in the lives of each other, of other people. And we know Him in ways that we could not know Him any other way. So what are these good works? We could look at so many places. Evangelism, ministry, taking care of the needs of others. I want to look at a couple places, specifically on the works of godly women. 1 Timothy 5, talking about these widows who can... Uh, be financially supported by the church as needed, and the qualifications for them to be qualified for that, they have to be well reported for good works. And what are those good works? If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, ministry, if she has diligently followed every good work, Dorcas in Acts 9, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. And what were those good works and charitable deeds? Verse 39, And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with him. It's practical. Using your talents, your resources, your opportunities to meet the needs of others, physical and especially spiritually. If you see the worth of the Lord and your life is conformed to that worth, it's fitting worthy, appropriate to that work, the worth of the Lord, the fruit of that is going to be good works. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God's grace is abounding so that we will abound in good works. All grace, all sufficiency in all things at all times. The fruit of God's grace being produced and increasing in us. 
And finally, he says, pray for patience and endurance. Colossians 1.11, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Why does patience and endurance come up in this prayer? Why all of a sudden does he pray for patience and long-suffering and joy? Because <laughs> if you try to please the Lord, if you try to be fully pleasing the Lord and not the world and not culture and not man, you're going to invite opposition, persecution, resistance. And you're going to need a lot of endurance, a lot of patience, and a lot of joy in any and every circumstance. This patience, this uh, being long-suffering, being willing to suffer for a long time, in order for this to happen, where does it come from? Being strengthened according to His glorious power, the power of God's glory. That we see, we savor, we experience. Ephesians 3.16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Strength to be patient, the strength to endure, the strength to have joy no matter what's going on, no matter our circumstance, comes from seeing and experiencing and savoring the glory of God and future glory that awaits. Empowering joy that comes from seeing and experiencing the glory of God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10 Hebrews 12, the example of Jesus, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured. The joy was the basis, the foundation of the endurance. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Joy that produces power and endurance. And so Paul began this letter by telling them, he's, I'm praying for you. And I love it. He, he tells people, I'm praying for you. He tells them what he's praying for. How often do we do that? I'm just, I'm praying for you, but here's what I'm praying. Here's what I'm praying. We pray because we've heard of your faith, your hope, your love. That's the theme in, in Paul's writings, faith, hope, and love. The hearing of your faith towards Jesus and your love towards the saints should cause us to give thanks to God in prayer. And in between verse 3, the thanks, and verse 9, the petition, he talks about this hope from the gospel, grounded in God's grace, this hope that's laid up for us in this, in this inheritance of light, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. This inheritance in eternal light instead of outer darkness. That's why we give thanks. Because He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That's why we give thanks. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, now and forever. That's why we give thanks. And he goes on to write about this Word of God, this plan made known unto you. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery or plan, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Glory is the summation. It's the, it's, the, it's the word for what our hope is. This hope, this glory from God's grace, forgiveness of sins, now and forever. Citizenship in His kingdom, now and forever. Inheritance and eternal light instead of outer darkness, now and forever. Experiencing this glory of God, this beauty, this value, this worth of God, now and forever. 
You know, typically we think about faith preceding the hope because without faith there is no hope, but in this sense we see hope feeding the faith. (laughs) Hope from the Word of God, from the gospel, from the truth that produces this faith. Faith sees and looks to this reward that we hope, this expectation in. Faith sees that, believes in that, embraces that, empowers this submission, this obedience. We see that throughout Hebrews 11. That's the theme in that chapter. Great example of this, uh, the, the, the faith of Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. He did it by faith and hope, by looking to the reward. That's how we respond in love. Choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God, that's love. And that love is produced by this faith motivated by this hope. Faith and hope producing the action, the works of love. And this hope is the ground, it's the basis for the choosing, for what we choose. He looked to the reward, that's why he chose what he chose. You have to embrace the gospel as truth, as compelling as valuable in order for it to produce love in your life. Hope producing love through faith. This hope that has to make me happier, that has to make me more fulfilled, that has to give me more joy than selfishness, than worldliness, than hate. You have to really see it. You have to really savor it. You have to really show it. You have to really embrace it. You have to really believe it. You have to really esteem it. Faith working through love. Faith producing this love. Love issuing from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from sincere faith. Show you my faith by my works. Faith is the tree producing love. And this laid up hope is helping to produce the faith, and the faith produces these works of love. And finally, give thanks. I mean, so much of our prayer should be thanksgiving. I mean, every prayer should have thanksgiving in it. Or we're not doing it right. We're doing something wrong if our prayers aren't full of thanksgiving. Thank God for grace. Ask God for more grace so we can give God more thanks. <laughs> give thanks because God has shared His inheritance with us. You have something to thank God for every day just on the basis of that. Not to mention everything else He's done for you. He shares his inheritance, this inheritance in eternal light instead of outer darkness. Thank God for qualifying you, the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's translated us into this eternal kingdom, and we have forgiveness. We have redemption through his blood, through the death of his son. Thank God for qualifying you to share in this inheritance. How did he do that? Adoption. He made us His children. He adopted us in Christ. And oh, oh, how thankful we should be. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for adopting us as Your children, for bringing us into Your family, for making us part of Your eternal kingdom, for the hope that we have through Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, for redemption. We thank You for every good and perfect gift, for every blessing, physical and especially spiritual. We thank you for all that you are, all that that you've done. We pray, Father, that we would 
show your worth in our life, that we would live worthy lives by focusing on your worth and the worth of the gospel, the worth of our, our calling and our salvation, that we would reflect that in the choices we make and in thoughts and word and deed, that we would seek to be as fully pleasing as we possibly can, not making the pursuit of perfection uh, an idolatrous exercise to bring attention and glory to ourselves, but to bring glory to you and what you've done, your work in us, that you've made it all possible. Help us to discern what's best, what's excellent. Help us to seek to live excellent lives to your glory, to show your worth, to show your plan uh, is superior. Father, we pray that we would be fruitful and productive, that you would use us to answer these prayers. Make us active. Activate us in your kingdom to be about your business. We pray, Father, for endurance and patience, that we would have joy in all circumstances because of what you've done for us, because of the glory and the hope of glory that we have, not only that we experience in this life, but in the life to come, that we would look to that moment, that time when we are able to be with you forever and see Jesus as he is. Father, we pray for grace and peace to us through your word. And we pray, Father, grace and peace be with us as we go out and live to your glory and honor. Father, thank you again for Christ who makes all this possible. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a spiritual need this morning, if you're here and you want to be adopted in the family of God, that's our prayer to God for you, that you might be saved. Believe, repent, be baptized by the power of the resurrection of Christ, be raised to walk and be with him in newness of life. Maybe you're here and as a Christian, maybe you uh, need the prayers of the church. If we believe in the power of prayer, we need to be doing it more. We need to be asking for it more, not just when we're physically sick, when we're spiritually sick. We need to pray for people that have those needs too. And so if you believe in the power of prayer, if you have a spiritual need uh, this morning, uh, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You can have a whole family of people praying with you and praying for each other. And there's power in prayer. We believe in that power. We need to do it more. If you're here and you are seeking this grace and peace in your life, if you need more knowledge of His will and spiritual understanding, help walking worthy in a way that's fully pleasing to God, being more fruitful and productive, if you need patience and endurance, and certainly I need that as much as anybody, if you have a spiritual need this morning, let us pray for you. Let us help you. Let's pray together. If you have a need, the Lord invites you to come as we stand and sing.